Good morning. Uh, my name is Chrissy Strubing, and I think it was January or February in the beginning of the year that my husband and I had lunch with Dave and Vicki, and I shared a really simple story with Dave. I was hesitant to share the story, but he had just preached a message recently, and God had laid it on my heart to do something, and I shared it with Dave, and the intention was to leave the story there. I tend to be more of a private person, and um, I just, it's not my thing coming up on stage and sharing stories like this. So I'm kind of stepping out of my box doing it. And the story is about stepping out of your box. Um, so after this sermon that he preached, it was about 30 degrees below zero, and it was that same week, it was a Monday night, and I had taken my son Calvin to Boy Scouts. And I, ne- I had some time I had to blow, so I went up to the local pick and save, and it wasn't my normal pick and save. And I, as I was entering the store, I saw a lady in the vestibule area, and she had several bags of groceries. And I purposely, I didn't make any eye contact with her. I kind of just went on my way, and I thought, oh, great, she's going to ask me for money. or It just it made me very nervous because she looked a little rough around the edges. And as I got into the store then, I kind of was embarrassed that I had those feelings. And I just, I, I was embarrassed that I had passed judgment on her because I didn't know her heart, I didn't know who she was, um, and I didn't think it was fair for me to pass judgment on her at all. So I had shopped in the grocery store for about an hour, and I just felt God really tugging at my heart. And after I had gone through the checkout, I had wondered if she would still be there because a lot of time had passed. And as I went into the vestibule area, she was still there. And I couldn't just leave the store. And I thought, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to look at Redbox and see what DVDs are available for watching tonight and see if she approaches anybody coming into the store. Um, and she didn't. Like, ten people had come into the store, and she never said a word to anybody. She just kept looking out the window. And so, again, I felt the tugging at my heart, and I, I was trying to figure out what was going on, and I just decided to strike up a conversation with her. And after I struck up a conversation with her, I felt the tugging again, and I just said, well, where do you live? And she happened to live closer to the lakefront, like 10 minutes away, 10 minutes opposite where I needed to be to pick up my son. And I offered her a ride. And it goes against everything that I've taught my kids. Don't ever get in the car with a stranger. Don't talk to strangers. I mean, anything that I've ever taught my kids. I don't even think I've told my kids the story before. So they're probably thinking, what are you doing? Um, so I got in the car. I helped her unload all her groceries in to the back of my van next to all of my groceries and we got into the car and I was afraid. I, I thought she had a gun. Like I thought, I, I just was freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to die. And so we started driving along and she was giving me directions on how to get to her house. And I just, I felt this peace come over me. I felt like this is going to be okay. This is really going to be okay. And she told me her name was Sarah And I introduced myself and told her my name. And she told me that she usually walks to the grocery store. 
Um, she likes to get out and walk, but she had recently become disabled, and she lost contact with family. She had kids and grandkids, but they didn't talk to her. And as we were talking, she also told me that she, um, I asked her if she was a believer, like where her faith was. And she told me that she was a believer, but that she had gotten away from God. And I just had remembered, like, all the years of being a Christian and knowing everything that we know about God, that even when we're angry and when we go away from God, he never goes away. He's always with us, no matter no matter where we're at with him in our walk, he's always there. And I shared that with her, and she just had tears running down her face. And she just looked at me and said, you're right, he is the one constant thing in my life. And I was able to share the gospel message, and I'm getting goosebumps right now because I'm always afraid to share the gospel message, and I wasn't afraid. And I shared it with her, and we cried together. And when I got to her house, we unloaded her groceries, And I unloaded an extra bag of my groceries that she didn't know about. And she had some heavy kitty litter, and I helped her. And and I just walked it into the main entryway of her house. And she just looked at me and said, you know what? I was really blessed by you tonight, and I thank you for that. And she thought like I was an angel, and I just reminded her that I'm a sinner. I'm just a normal person, nothing special, but God had led me to strike up a conversation with her and have a conversation with her. And she was just really blessed by that really simple act of kindness and me stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out of my box to share the love of God with her by giving her a ride. So with that, I'm going to read some the text for today, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, so this comes from Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 15 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Chrissy, for sharing that with us. That was not easy getting Chrissy to do that, by the way. Uh, aren't you glad I did, though? 
You know, I mean, that was, you shared it better in public than you did in our dining room that, that cold morning. Well, today, we're coming to a close in our uh, short little series that we call Sent. And this idea of being sent is really, really important to us as a local church. Because God is rescuing people all over the world by sending You know, first he sent Jesus, his only son, and now he sent us. God has sent us to people who are far from God to bring them near. That's how God is rescuing people. He's rescuing people by sending people who are close to him to people who are far from him. That's, and it's working. It's working, by the way. This is how God is, is redeeming people. This is his plan. This is God's plan. This is his plan from the very beginning. All along, this has been his plan, is to, is to send people to other people, just like he sent Chrissy to that lady. And really, the main idea throughout this series has been about focus. We've been talking over and over about how to live an ordinary life with extraordinary focus. You don't have to live a radical life to do the one thing that that. Jesus has sent us to do. You don't have to do, you don't have to live a radical life. You just have to live a focused life. Now, if you think about Jesus' life, you know, aside from the miracles and the teaching, which is what Jesus is most known for, Jesus lived a pretty ordinary life. He was a carpenter for most of his life. But even after he started what we usually call his ministry, he still did, he still spent most of his time doing ordinary things with ordinary people. He ate and drank with people. He walked and talked with people. He never, tra- he never wrote a book. He never traveled far from home. He never even owned a home. And yet Jesus is the most influential person in all of history. How can that be? It's because Jesus made God's focus his focus. Every minute of every day. That's why. It's because Jesus had extraordinary focus. And he did everything that God was doing. He, did, he saw what God was doing and he did it. He was focused on God and who God was and, and how God related to people, and he oriented his whole life around that. That's why he was so influential. Or that's one of the reasons anyway. And now, for us, as Jesus sends us out into the world to, to make disciples, that is the one thing, by the way, is what we've, what we've been talking about every week. God is focused on making disciples of his son Jesus. That's his, that's his number one priority right now in the world, and he's doing it through his people. He's sending us to other people to make disciples. And we do it in ordinary ways, just like Jesus did. We, we talk with people. We initiate conversations. It's amazing what starting a conversation with someone can lead to, isn't it? He's, he sends us to eat and drink with people who are far from God. He sends us to do pretty ordinary things, but with extraordinary focus. That's what this is about. And focus is really important because without focus... Without focus, there's, there's really no urgency in your life. And without urgency, there's no action. There's no meaningful action or activity in our lives. And I want to try to explain this to you. Because focus can be a really tricky thing. It's actually very difficult to maintain focus in your life. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons is that our lives are full of distractions. There are so many distractions around us, and we lose focus so easily. And this happens on a daily basis, doing ordinary things. I, there's so many examples I could give you. One of the things is, I don't know if, if 
maybe some of the guys in here can relate to me. Has your wife ever sent you to do something or to get something from the car? Hey, can you go get my purse out of the car? And you go out there, and you come back 15 minutes later without the purse. <laughs> your wife's like, where's my purse, and why, where, where were you? You're like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your purse. The garage is clean, though. <laughs> You know, you go outside and you see, oh, this can't, I can't let this mess. And, you know, you just start and then all of a sudden you forgot what you were even out there to do. This, this happens. You know, I don't know, maybe this happens to you. You, you, go, you go to, um, you're, you're sent to put your kids to bed, right? And you come back to your wife 10 or 15 minutes later and so on. So is everyone in bed? No, they just started a movie. What? <laughs> I sent you to put them to bed. What happened? I don't know. They're just watching the movie. We got started talking and I put a movie on. I don't know what happened. Go back up there and take care of that, right? We get distracted and we get talked out of doing what we're supposed to be doing by our own kids. That never happens to me, of course, but I hear dads talking about that sometimes. You poor dads. Now, this happens with, this can happen with debt, financial debt. You know, I, I want to pay off my debt. I'm going to focus for the next 6 to 12 months. And I'm going to er- eliminate all of my debt. And 6 months or 12 months go by. And all of a sudden, you have more debt than when you started with. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. You saw some stuff you wanted to buy. And you got distracted. I guess I, I know I need this, you know. And then you lose focus. And the debt is still there. And sometimes it's even larger than when you started. Because you're distracted. So there's so many, I, we could talk all day about how, how, many, how easy it is for us to get distracted and we lose focus and we end up not doing what we, what we meant to do or not doing anything because we lost, we get distracted. But it's not just distractions. There's another major obstacle when it comes to focus that we have to deal with. And I'm just going to call this fog. It's just fogginess or a lack of clarity. So, one morning a couple years ago, I was driving to work. I was driving, and I was driving east, and it was in the morning, and the sun, the sun was like right in front of me, you know? I was like driving into the sun. It was really a beautiful sight. And then something happened. I had my sunglasses on, the, the visor was down, it was really, really bright. But then I entered this super dense fog as I was driving. Really dense. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever been driving through this kind of fog. I had to slow down. It was, it was real early in the morning, though, and the sun was there. And I, I realized I don't need my sunglasses anymore. I took the sunglasses off, put the visor up, and I'm driving into the sun, and I'm literally staring right at the sun. It was a beautiful sight. And I, I remember thinking, I actually journaled about this. I remember thinking, I shouldn't be able to do this. I shouldn't be able to look at the sun for this long and just gaze into it. And the only reason I could do that is because of the fog. The fog was standing there. The fog was in between the sun and myself, which allowed me to stare right at the sun. It wasn't overwhelming anymore. I could look right into it and not, be, not have to look away because of its brightness. The, and the only reason I could do that was because there was a lack of clarity. There was a fog there. And I was able to stare right at the sun for as long as I wanted to. And that's not something we normally get to do. Now, the passage that Chrissy read from Luke chapter 10, this lawyer, he quotes what what is typically called the great commandment. 
Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And do you know, you know what we do when we stare right into the great commandment? Many times we look away because it's just too bright. It's too overwhelming. We look at that, you know, love God with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, with, with everything. And then love your neighbor as you would, treat your neighbor as you want to be treated all the time. And if we focus on that for too long, we, we're tempted to look away because we realize how, how much we don't live like that. We realize how far short we actually fall. And so we, we either look away or we fog it up. We make it more complicated than that. That's one of the simplest. Can you be any more simple? Could Jesus have been any more clear about what this life is about? Love God with everything. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's it. The whole law can be summarized with those two things. Talk about clarity. And yet we, we tend to make that more complicated than it actually is. And so when it comes to day-to-day situations, like in Chrissy's situation, there are so many ways she could have talked herself out of helping that lady that day. She, she could have said, well, what if, she's, what if she's dangerous? What if she has a gun? You know, what if, she, what if she vomits in my car? What if, what if, what if, fog, fog, fog? And you know what? As long as the fog is there and the, and the focus is missing, we can look right at people, we can see what they need, and not do anything. As long as we can convince ourselves that the solution isn't clear, we don't have to do anything. There's no urgency. And if there's no urgency, we don't have to do anything. We can do nothing. We can look at people every day and walk by them and see their need and just ignore it because what if this and what if that? And it's not clear what we should do. We make it not clear. We're the problem. Okay, we bring fog into the situation. But today I believe that's going to change. You know why? Because God's word has the power to change us. God's word is clear. God isn't the problem. We're the problem. And so let, we're going to look at this, at this uh, very one of Jesus' most famous parables today. We're going to talk briefly about it, and then we're going to talk about what we need to do about it. So if you haven't already turned there, Take your Bibles out, turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're just going to look at certain places along the way. We're going to dig a little bit into this uh, story and hopefully be changed. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the way the story starts is that we're told there's a lawyer. We don't know exactly. He's an expert in the law, in the law of God, and he... Ask Jesus a question. <clears throat> and we're told that he's testing Jesus. And what that basically means is that he is trying to, he wants to trap Jesus. He wants to undermine Jesus. He wants to discredit Jesus. He wants to make Jesus look incompetent in some way, shape, or form. And so he's probably been following Jesus around. He may have been paid off by the religious rulers of the day to do this, to find an opening and then go in and, and find the loophole and trap Jesus in, in his own words. And so that's what he's looking to do. And he asks a very simple question that even Jewish children would have known the answer to. And what he asks Jesus in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10 is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, 
What does a person need to do to be accepted by God, to be right with God, to know God? What does a person need to do? What's the key to eternal life? That's, that's what this guy's asking. And like I said, this is a very, very basic question. Even children would have known the answer to it. And we're not sure what his intentions were exactly, but we know that he's testing. He's putting Jesus to the test. He's trying to trap him. That's what's going on. And if anyone was qualified to do that, it would be an expert in the law. That's who this guy is. And one thing that you should, you probably already know about lawyers is that they never ask a question they don't already know the answer to. So we, we already know this guy knew the answer. He's not asking Jesus this question because he doesn't know the answer. And so Jesus very wisely turns the question around onto the lawyer. And he says, well, what do you think? How do you read it? What's your interpretation? How does someone become accepted by God? And the lawyer responds by saying something to Jesus he's probably heard Jesus say before. I'm sure he's heard Jesus say this before. If he's been following Jesus for any length of time, he says, all right, Jesus, I'll play along with you. He says in verse uh, 27, or 20, uh, yeah, 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. You got it. That's it. All right. Way to go. I mean, as far as Jesus is concerned, the conversation's over. And Jesus could see into this guy's heart. He knows what's going on. I don't know, maybe Jesus was ready to walk away. And that made the, this lawyer feel very uncomfortable. He's probably feeling a little silly right now. Because this, this conversation isn't going how he wanted it to go. And it's re- really way too open-ended for him. I mean, Really, Jesus, that's it? You really mean that? I'm just supposed to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and love my neighbor as myself? That's a little too open-ended for me. That's a little too clear, a little too simple. Because if that's the key to eternal life, then I will have to change the way that I live. And and most people don't want to change the way they live. They want to justify the way that they live. They want to know that that God's going to accept them just as they are. That God will conform to them. And so that's what we're told. We're told that he wanted to justify himself. So he says, wait a minute, Jesus. Hold on. Let's get more specific. This is too clear. Let's get more specific. Who's my neighbor, really? Who who actually is qualified to receive my love, Jesus? That's what he's asking. It can't just be everybody. Come on, really? And so Jesus responds to him back. By telling him a story, which probably frustrated him because he did that all the time to the disciples. And a lot of times, the, some people didn't know what he was saying. They didn't get the point. But Jesus does this. In Jesus' fashion, he tells this very simple, clear story. And there's basically four characters in the story. And you've all heard the story. Even if you are, are an unbeliever or you, you, know, you don't go to church on a regular basis, you've probably heard this story many times. It's called the this, parable of the good samaritan and what we have we have in the stories we have a a jewish man who is walking on the jericho road from jerusalem to jericho which was about a, a little under 20 miles of a journey it was through pretty rough terrain um altogether the road descended from jerusalem to jericho about 30 about 30 about three thousand feet 
And it was a dangerous, it had a nickname, this road did. It was called the Bloody Road because it was violent. There were a lot of robbers that would kind of hang out and wait for people to ambush and things like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a good idea to, to travel this road alone, but this guy did. And sure enough, a group of robbers ambushed him. They stripped him naked. They beat him so badly that he was left half dead, bleeding to death. And if nobody came to help him by nightfall, wild animals would finish him off. That's, that's a graphic picture. That's how Jesus starts the story. Whoa. But even though Jesus is making this up, this is something that happened. It wasn't an unrealistic or far-fetched story at all. It's something that happened. So everyone's kind of listening in and, okay, here's a guy, a Jewish guy. Wow, that's some bad luck. Gets, you know, he's just on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, gets jumped. And then we're introduced to some new characters. First, a priest comes along. A priest happens to be going on the same road. And we're told that he saw the man. He saw the man half dead. Naked. Bleeding out. And we're told that the priest, he saw the man, he saw the man's need. And he passed by. On the other side. For some reason, the priest decides that he shouldn't stop. We're not told exactly why. We're just told he, he, he went by. And then we're told a Levite. A Levite. Uh, well, we'll talk about Levites a little bit. A Levite, a priest, you know, a priest was revered in Jewish society. Like they are in our society in some ways. And a Levite was really just one or two steps down from a priest. They assisted the priest. They were people of privilege too. And so they were well respected. A Levite sees the man. He comes along a little later, sees the man in the same condition, sees his need, and ignores him. He goes by on the other side. We're not told why, but for whatever reason, he decides, I shouldn't stop. I shouldn't get involved. And he goes by. Now, what's really kind of interesting about these first two guys who pass by is these are powerful, wealthy, influential members of Jewish society. And Jesus' audience is Jewish. And a priest and a Levite are not the kind of people who should be passing by on the other side of the road. These are men who are supposed to be the closest people to God in our culture. That's how they would have been uh, viewed by Jesus' audience. And so it would have been a little surprising that men like this would not stop and help a stranger who's dying on the side of the road. But they do. They walk by. These men who are, you know, highly educated, highly spiritual, highly religious, disciplined, revered men. They walk by. And then Jesus does something really, really shocking. He introduces another character into the story who's nothing like the priest or the Levite. This, this is a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a person from Samaria. That's not, doesn't take a, you know, a smart person to figure that out. But Samaritans were despised by Jews. Samaritans were uh, part Jewish and part a bunch of other things. They were, and so Jewish people who were, had a, you know, a, a, a pure Jewish bloodline, they looked down on Samaritans. They, they viewed them as being racially inferior. And not only was there racial tension between Jews and Samaritans, there was religious tension between Jews and Samaritans because Samaritans they held to different 
views about God than Jews did. They, they had a different view of worship and how to worship and where to worship God. They had a different view of the Bible and what, what, was the, what the Bible was, what the Bible wasn't. They had a different opinion about who was accepted by God and who wasn't and how to be accepted by God. And so if you're a Jewish person in Jesus' day, you're looking at a Samaritan as racially inferior, morally inferior, and someone who has, holds to a lot of wrong beliefs about God. That's how the Jews looked at Samaritans. And so here's this Samaritan who's already a loser, in my mind, if I'm a Jewish person, before he even gets out of the gate. And he comes along, and here's the one thing he has in common with the first two guys, is that he sees the same person on the same road with the same, in the same condition. He sees the man, he sees what his need is, and, and that's it. That's the only thing you have in common. The Samaritan does something that nobody expected. He does something. He does something about it. He sees a man in need and he does something. He doesn't pass by on the other side of the road. He goes to the man. He stoops down. He, he, he takes care of his wounds. He pours the oil. and He takes care of his physical needs. He takes care of his medical needs. He takes care of his transportation. He puts him on his own animal. He takes him to an inn or like a hospital place where people can be cared for. He pays for his medical expenses. And then he, he two days wages. He cares for this man's physical, emotional, material needs, his health needs. Takes care of his transportation. He, he says, if you need more money, let me know. I'll cover it. He takes care of all of this guy's needs until he's back on the road to recovery. That's what the Samaritan does. Which is really surprising if I'm a Jewish person listening to this story. And so, for us, for us as, as modern day, you know, Lovers of God. You know what that means? It means we're sent to see and to act. We're sent to see and to act. We're not just sent to see people and look at them and walk by and assume that everything's going to be okay. We're sent to see and to act. And that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? You know, what if you asked God, God, what do, what's the one thing I need to do to experience your presence in my life? What's the one thing I need to do? And God said to you, well, you need to love me and love your neighbor as yourself. And you're like, okay, God, I know that. I've heard that. I know, I know, I know. Can you be more specific? And God starts telling you a story. And he says, okay, once upon a time, there's a guy who was driving through the inner city at night, and he was carjacked. And he was beaten and, and left for dead. He's sitting there on the side of the road, you know, down on his luck. And a pastor sees him, and he drives by. Wow, that's disappointing. And then a strubing sees him, and they drive by. No way, a strubing would never do that. But in this story, they do, okay? Just bear with me here. I like to pick on the strubing sometimes. But then, an atheist Democrat on welfare who just got out of jail for disrupting a pro-life gathering drove by. <laughs> Okay. 
And he saw the guy, and he stopped. And he took him to the hospital, and he paid his bill, and he saved the guy's life. You need to be more like that guy. If you want to experience my presence and power in your life, you need to be more like that guy. How humbling would that be for you? How humbling would that be? Isn't that what Jesus is doing in this story? He's saying, you need to be more like the guy who you think has all the wrong beliefs about me, who's far from me as far as you're concerned. But Jesus, I believe all the right things. Isn't that what counts? I believe the right things. Isn't that what matters? Let me tell you something. When Jesus' brother James wrote to the church in his letter to the church, he said, okay, you believe there's one true God? Good for you. So do the demons. And James started talking about, he calls it the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. In James chapter 2, he said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. If you can love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. And he goes on to say, if you're showing favoritism to people and you are deciding who deserves God's mercy and who doesn't, you're the one who's going to be judged. You know why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what God has said. If you really believe, then you're going to be a mercy shower. That's the point. So don't, so don't you see? The answer is clear. It's all about focus. That's what this is all about. The real question is not, who's my neighbor? Okay, the real question is not, who's actually qualified to receive my assistance? That's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. The question is, will you be the neighbor? You see how Jesus did that? You see how he kind of twisted that at the end? The guy says, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells a story and then Jesus ends up telling us, well, look, you got the wrong question. It's not about who's my neighbor, because Jesus says, okay, you, expert, you, you're the expert on God. Who was the neighbor to the guy in the road? And the guy and the religious expert can't even say the word Samaritan. He has to say, it was the one who showed mercy. Will you be the neighbor? Will you be the neighbor that everyone wants? That's the point. A neighbor treats everyone with dignity and compassion. There's no need to complicate the issue. The issue is not who your neighbor is. The issue is you. In other words, a neighbor is not something you have. A neighbor is something you are. And your neighborhood is where is any time where you see someone with visible needs. That's your neighborhood. That's a neighbor. Now, here's our problem. We are really good. I I, I think that you know what this means, right? But we are really good at talking ourselves out of mercy. We're really good at talking ourselves out of giving help to people. We're good at it. We're smart enough to do that. We're smart enough to justify ourselves in any given situation. That's one of the things we're best at. There are a lot of people who see, Christians, who see others in need, but they don't act. Why? Because we're good at coming up with reasons why we shouldn't get involved. So I want to just acknowledge what some of the reasons are that we, that we come up with on a regular basis. Number one, we, we'll say, I don't have time. I don't have time to help this person. I got to be somewhere in a, in a little while. I might miss the meeting or I might miss this commitment or the event. I'll, I'll be late to class if I help this person. 
Our schedules are so full that we often just can't be available to people. That's the truth, isn't it? Here's another one. We see a people in need, someone in need. I'll call the church. I'll call the pastors. They'll know what to do. I'll call one of the pastors. They don't really, they don't have a life. They probably sleep at the resource center. They're probably just sitting by the phone waiting for me to call with a situation like this, an opportunity like this. They're the ones who are sent, not me. I hate to break it to you, but we don't sleep at the resource center. And uh, we don't just sit by the phone waiting for, for calls. You know what excites me more than anything? Is when you live like you're sent. Nothing gives me more encouragement and excitement in, in, my, in my ministry than seeing you do that. Than seeing you live like this. That's what the point is. Here's another one. I don't, have, I don't have the resources to meet this person's need. If I help this person out, I might be the one left in need. I might be, you know, low on funds or low on resources. But, you know, I seem to recall this place in the New Testament. It talks about carrying and bearing one another's burdens. In other words, when you help somebody and you are meeting a, a specific need, you actually should give so much that you feel it. It's a sacrifice, in other words. That's what's carrying someone's burden. You give until you feel the burden. That's what mercy is. It's costly. That's a good thing. How about this? I, it's, this, is, this is risky. This is just dangerous. My policy is safety first. So I'm not going to help this person. Listen, safety first, I get, I get it, okay? Safety first is the right attitude when you are operating heavy machinery, when you're driving a car, when you're using power tools, when you're rock climbing or putting on a harness. Safety first is the right attitude when you're changing a diaper <laughs> or when you're selling stuff on Craigslist. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. Safety first is the wrong attitude when you encounter somebody who has immediate visible needs. I'm just going to tell you, it's the wrong attitude. It's a very selfish attitude. It's the right attitude in some spheres of life, but not in that one, okay? How about this one? Mercy isn't my gift. I'm not really just, I'm just not a compassionate person. Mercy isn't my thing. What you're really saying is Christianity isn't my thing. That's what you're really saying. You know why? Because this parable does not belong in the category of mercy gift. It belongs in the category of Christian living, the question to Jesus was, how, how can I inherit eternal life? You know, who's my neighbor? That's what the question Jesus is answering here. This is not a skill, in other words. This is a choice. Mercy is a choice. You don't live like this, and you, this is important. You don't live like this in order to be accepted by God. That's not what we're saying. You live like this because you know you've been accepted by God. This isn't religion. This isn't how you get eternal life. Because if it was, nobody would have eternal life because nobody lives this way all the time. But people who do live like this and make it a habit, they know who God is. They know that they've been accepted by God. They know how much mercy they've received at the hand of God. That's who these people are. And they're rare. And, and this isn't 
This isn't mercy as a means to an end, okay? We meet people's needs whether they believe our message or not. We're not, we're not showing mercy to people to get something from them. That's not why we do it. We do it because of what we've received. Undeserved mercy from God. Undeserved mercy. A couple more quick ones. Well, they probably got themselves into this mess. I don't need to help them because they they got themselves into this mess. There's probably something in their past. God's probably punishing them for something they did or for something their kids did or, you know, any number of different things. They brought this on themselves. So who am I to interfere with God, you know? And here's the last one. If I help them, I might be enabling them. You know, they might become dependent on me. Oh, no. I shouldn't help them. Listen, we're not told to worry about the consequences. What we're told to do is to stop and help. And to treat people like we we would want to be treated. So, you know, kids, students who are in here. You kids who are at school every day. You're living most of your life at school right now. You see people every day. You see you see young people who have needs, who are lonely, who are sad, who are alone. And you might look at them and think, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad I'm not in their shoes. But what if you said, how can I help? How can I help? What if you stopped in the middle of your day to help somebody, to, to be a friend, to love them? That's what we're talking about. It's simple. It's clear. We can talk ourselves out of it all day. We can fog it up all day. But the commandment is clear. It's simple. And when it comes down to this story, of this famous story of the Good Samaritan, The key to being a neighbor is compassion. It's all about compassion. And so Jesus actually outlines for us, he defines a neighbor for us. He tells us what what a neighbor looks like, okay? A neighbor is someone who notices people who have needs. They see someone and they notice that this person has a need. A neighbor notices that. A neighbor has compassion for people. In other words, a neighbor, you put yourself in the other person's shoes. You have to do that. Instead of rolling your eyes at people, are there, are there, is there like a family on your street or on your block who you kind of roll your eyes at? Because of the way their house looks or because they leave their garbage can out for, a, for like five days? Like what's with them? Who leaves their garbage can out? The garbage came four days ago. You know, what's wrong with these people? You know, they never cut their grass. Their yard is cluttered, whatever. They're, you know, you, there's like this, Random group of people always going in and out. You can't figure out who actually lives there. Are there people like that on your street who you roll your eyes at? Why don't you try on compassion? Seriously. Do you even have any idea what's going... Do you have any idea who those people are? Or what their life is like? What would it be like to be them? That's what compassion asks. They ask that... You've got to ask that question. A neighbor does something about the need. You actually do something. We see, we see the need and we actually do something about it. Whether we think we have the resources or not, regardless of what the consequences might be, we do something about it. A neighbor absorbs the cost. 
A neighbor makes whatever sacrifice is needed. And we, a neighbor will inconvenience themselves for the benefit of somebody else, maybe even a stranger. A neighbor refuses to make excuses or play it safe. A real neighbor. And lastly, a neighbor follows through. A neighbor, this is, this is everything the Samaritan did. He, they follow through. Even if you can't be there, you ensure that the need is taken care of. Okay, it's, it's pretty simple. The question is, how do we live like this? How do we do this? How are we supposed to do that? Is, there, is anyone here a true neighbor? If I asked, okay, who lives like this every day? Would any one of you stand up? Could any one of you say, this is my life. I love God with all my heart and I love my neighbor as myself. I'm the guy. I'm the, I'm the woman. See, what's the point? What is the point we're trying to get across? Am I, is, is Jesus trying to say, don't be a racist. Don't be selfish. Don't ignore people who are in trouble. You owe it to God to help them. How dare you pass by on the other side? Is that Jesus' point? Is he just trying to make us feel guilty? What if I said, just be like Chrissy? Just be like Chrissy. That would be a terrible sermon. No offense, Chrissy. But that's not the point. I'm not, I didn't have Chrissy come up here to tell you that story to make you feel guilty. Guilt is a terrible motivator. Do you know that? Guilt never works to motivate us to live this way. It just never will. Guilt might actually cause you to commit some random acts of kindness. But it'll never leave you full. It'll never last. And Jesus isn't asking us to live a life with random acts of kindness. Jesus is telling us to be the neighbor that everybody would want. That's what he's telling us to do. Guilt can never produce a single neighbor. Guilt can't change your heart. Guilt produces an attitude that says, I have to do this. I have much. They have little. They have needs. I'm able to meet those needs. So I have to help. I owe it to them to help. Guilt always says, I owe you. And it doesn't work. What motivates a true neighbor is compassion. Compassion is the key to being a neighbor. And a compassionate person asks this question. What if I was the one who was in trouble? What if I was the one who was attacked and left naked and bleeding to death on the side of the road? What if I was the one in desperate need of mercy? Would I want someone to show mercy to me? Would I want grace? Would you? So you see, we need, we need to put ourselves in this story. That's what we need to do. We need to, we need to realize that every one of us, spiritually speaking, was naked before God. We were naked. We were left for dead. We had nothing to offer God. We had no life in us spiritually. None. And God saw us in our need and he didn't pass by. He saw us and he had compassion on us and he did something about it. He came to us as one of us in the flesh. He took our burden on himself. He took our place. He became naked on the cross. He didn't just come at the risk of his life. 
He came and he gave his life. Jesus did so that we could be clothed and fed and restored. So that we could have peace with God. God was a neighbor to us. Jesus is the ultimate neighbor. That's who he is for us. And until you see that, until you see how much mercy you've received from God in Christ, you will not be able to live this way. Guilt won't give you the strength to live this way. Discipline and resolve and religion will never give you the strength to live this way. If you say, I'm going to live this way so that God will accept me one day and so that God will give me a pat on the back, you'll never make it. You'll always fall short. Only compassion will give you the strength and the focus to actually see people every day who have visible needs and do something about it. It's only compassion. That's the key. It's not complicated, but it's costly. Right? It's going to cost you something. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And so like every week in this series... We have a challenge for you. i got a challenge for you to consider today. We've been looking at, in the back of your pamphlet, it says, Our plan according to His plan. And this is our very you know, simple plan for making disciples in the world. We initiate conversations. We invite, people to, we invite people to eat and drink with us and to celebrate God with us. We include people in everything we do. We invigorate people to live like Jesus in the church and in the world. And lastly, we impact our world with mercy. We impact people in the world by showing mercy to them. By going out into our community and serving and volunteering and helping people who are in need. That's it. It's simple. Word and deed. They go together. Right? We speak and we act. We speak and we act. We gather and we're sent. That's what we do. And so the challenge today is simple. Impact your church and your community with compassion and action. Make mercy a habit because of the mercy God has shown you in Christ. Make it a habit. Now, I don't need to tell you, I don't need to tell you any stories about, I don't need to tell you, I don't need to inspire you or tell you stories. Chrissy told a story. Jesus told us a story today. This is so simple. You know what to do. You know what to do. You know what needs to be done. It's clear. It's a choice. Sharing God's love and mercy with people is always a choice. And it's a great choice. So will you be a neighbor this week? Will you be a neighbor? Let's pray. God, our Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you sent your son to us. To live a life, a simple life, with focus and power, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To make your enemies your friends, God. To invite us to your table, into your fellowship, into your kingdom, into a relationship with you. So that we can be changed, and so that we can show others your love and your mercy, and tell them the good news, God. That you have made a way for us to be right with you. And that way is only through Jesus. It's only through the cross that our sin is covered. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we can have peace with you. And now, 
You sent us to spread that peace to others. And I pray, God, that you would give us your power to do it, that you would give us your focus, that we would focus, God, on what you are focused on, making disciples of Jesus. That's what we want to do. So give us your grace, and we thank you for everything that we have, for all the mercy you've shown us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As I was listening to this message, I was thinking of a song I've heard um, in which someone is crying out very angry with God because of all the pain, the injustice, the poverty in the world. And he's asking God, why do you allow this? Why don't you do something, God? If you've heard the song, you know what God's answer was. I have. I created you. And I think that's what we've been hearing this morning. We are sent to be God's ambassadors to the world around us, to be the neighbors as described in this parable. I'd like to read a passage here from Luke that kind of covers this. Chapter 6, starting with verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you, give, you use, it will be measured back to you. You are dismissed. Please, um, those of you who can stay, be neighbors to those who you sit at the table with, and those who can't stay, be neighbors to those that you run into in your world. Thank you.